What's up, listeners? It's Random Encounter 169. I'm Greg Dalmage, and I've got some news to blast at you before we get into the episode proper. So, have a listen. Probably the first thing to bring up is the fact that you may have noticed the website has changed up. It's a nice, brimming, bright white now instead of the old classic green. We've had Mike Salvata doing a lot of uh, back-end and front-end work on the website to spruce it up and move us forward to make things cleaner and easier for uh, users like you to uh, get at. So let us know how you feel about the current website changes. Uh, so far, everyone's receiving it quite positively, and it's just such a nice, cleaner look to everything. So. Bear with us as we get things put together as uh, little nooks and crannies and cracks are going to show up as we uh, tweak things. As far as new content goes, we got a whole lot of stuff to throw at you. Uh, Tina has been busy with Crowdfunding Chronicles, her regularly updated volume of Kickstarter and Indiegogo independent projects funded across the internet. And we've got volume 16 and 17 that have been brought up, which have some really nifty looking stuff on them. I, for one, am pretty stoked about Kingdoms of the Dump, which is really looking like a nice homage to the SNES era of RPGs, but with some nice fun spins on it, and just a really creative world overall. So check those out. I know firsthand from our Discord channel that we have some tabletop fans out there, like myself. Uh, I like to get into a board game now and again, otherwise I go a little stir-crazy. Bob Richardson and his wife have been covering the Origins Game Fair for us over the years. And uh, this year Bob checked it out and has a few thoughts to share and a nice tidy feature you can get into and see what all he had to see and experience. Though E3 is far behind us now, it seems, I mean, it's really not that far, but summer has been eternally long, so it would feel. Uh, we have been getting little bits of information still coming out about the Final Fantasy VII Remake and what we know so far about it. So head on over to the Features Department to check out what we know so far about the Final Fantasy VII Remake. It's got a lot of input from Alana, Peter, Zach, Corey, just covering, yeah, every tidbit of information they could glean from the internet and from E3 as well. And that does it for features, but we have a nice tidy handful of reviews, like Nathan Lee's review of Nelky and the legendary alchemist Ateliers of the New World. A nice above-average game that has some cool uh, town building, as I recall, that kind of caught him off guard how surprisingly fun that was, even if the rest of the game kind of came in a little slow and plodding. So check out his review there for a little more in-depth details. The next review source comes as no surprise. Caitlin Argyros has been raving about the latest Final Fantasy XIV installment, Shadowbringers, and she was the one who got to review it, giving it, of course, an RPG fan editor's choice. You heard it on the last podcast, the links to which she extolled the greatness of it and just how it's some of Final Fantasy's best writing yet. So definitely check out her review, see what she had to say about it, and go check it out for yourself if you're an MMO fan. Soul Seraph came out. A really nice surprise for fans of the Act Razor series, and we really wanted it to be really good. So did Atlanta, but it fell real, real flat. Go check out Atlanta's review, see where it suffers, and goodness, we hope someone learns from this folly and makes us a true, amazing Act Razor revival. Knocked! True Tales of Robin Hood is a sweet little visual novel that Neil Chandran got into and thinks overall it's a pretty solid game. It's pretty above average, has some great writing. Uh, I may not be what he was after, but I'm sure someone out there is going to find it something thereafter. Our last review comes from Audrey Bowling. It is for Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, The Black Order, which if you like Marvel, you like Avengers, any of that sort of stuff. Uh, X-Men, of course, is front and center in this game as well. It's definitely a solid above average game. She likes a lot of aspects of it. Uh, I like the fact that there is couch co-op, so if you want to get in some Marvel good times and you got a Switch, 
here's the game for you. Last, I'm going to round out this little news segment with a couple of uh, previews we've gotten. First of all, there's the Kill Squad Early Access preview that Joe and Zach put together. They did some co-op gameplay, which this game definitely lends itself to, so it's the best way for us to get a really great impression of it, and they seem pretty positive on it. Go check out their thoughts, see how this game is developing along, and hopefully it's something that you'll uh, be wanting to pick up the day it becomes fully ready. And the next preview comes from Alana Heggs, who got to try out the demo for Onanaki when it dropped. Uh, we talked a little bit about it last episode of the podcast, and yeah, she's cautiously optimistic about it since Tokyo RPG Factory has, you know, been trying some different things to varying degrees of success. This time they seem to be breaking the mold a little bit, and this one looks pretty cool. The combat's still got some work to do, but overall the world is really fascinating, and that seems to be what's drawing her in. So check out a preview, see if it's one that you want to pick up put time into, or if you're just going to wait for the full review when the game launches. And that is that. Of course, you can check out all the news in uh, greater detail and other uh, announcements that we've been covering over at RPGFan.com. And like I said, let us know what you think of the new look. And now, on to the episode. Hello folks, welcome back to some more Random Encounter. My name is Greg Dalmage and this is Random Encounter 169. Uh, I am joined by a lovely host of people, but before we get into that, you can find me at Greg Dalmage pretty much anywhere on the interwebs. And I am joined by, like I said, a bunch of great folks who will tell you where you can find them. Uh, first of all, let's go with Alana Heggs, since we just talked around the podcast not too long ago. We did, yeah. Nice to be on this side of things. Hey everyone, I'm Alana, at Alana Heggs on Twitter. Nice to be back. Thank you, Elena. And we have uh, our, you know, arguably fearless leader, Mike Salbato. Hello. I haven't been here in a while, huh? It's true. Have you been afraid of the mic? Is that, that's where the argument is. Ha, you have the mic. I get it. We're all afraid of the mic. He can fire us. No. Um, why I mean, so long away, Mike? <laughs> um, oh, I don't know. I'm busy moving across the country or something. That's, uh, you know, kind of a big deal. But so far, kind of, all yeah. is well, and it comes with birds and puppies, so it's not a bad one. It does, yes. I, I'll apologize right now if anyone hears the bird that should be in the distance, but really wants to be heard. Um, Witness me. And where can people find you on the interwebs, Mike? Um, RPGfan.com. I mean, I technically have a Twitter, but I don't use it, so. You know. Gotcha. So if people want them, just go online. Email them, whatever. You can get in touch with yeah. them on RPGfan.com. And then, of course, welcoming back Lucy Gray. Oh, hi. Uh, I'm Lucy Gray. I am uh, a very bad social media person. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at J-I-D-R-E-S um, and various places around the interweb, usually under a rock. And this is what makes her so good at social media. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, welcome back, everybody. And welcome, uh, Mike, to Random Encounter. I don't think I've had you on. Yeah, you haven't been on since I started hosting. I've only really just talked to you in formal meetings and been stuffy and stuff, which none of our meetings are stuffy. 
None of our meetings are stuffy. No. <laughs> They're usually far too much fun and full of far too many um, tangential connections that make it go longer than it needs to be. But hey, here we are. They're not stuffy. They're stuffed. Yeah. Stuffed with fun and joy. Uh, just like, <laughs> as I understand it, Dragon Quest Builders 2 is, which uh, Alana, you reviewed for us and everyone else but me has been playing. But I plan to get into it because I think Gwen and I would have a great old time with it, with her love of Minecraft. But uh, how about y'all? Dish, tell us about that. Toilets. <laughs> yes, toilets came up a lot when we were first talking about this game. If um, if you all want to explain that one, though. Yeah, let's just get this part out of the way, I guess. So one of the new uh, things that they've added to Dragon Quest Builders 2 from the original is they've added that you occasionally have to build toilets. and Only occasionally? Like, shouldn't you always? No, it's not mandatory all the time. It's only mandatory once, in fact. Yeah, you don't have to, but if you don't have one, then your residents just walk around occasionally, like, gripping their stomach, saying, oh, man, I need to go. <laughs> and just never defecating? Or what's... No, never, never, unless no. you help them. <laughs> oh, dear. That is a very specific form of torture. But do go on. And not only are you building said toilets, it's more the reaction of said villagers not only gripping their stomachs but they'll then line up in this huge long line um, refusing to do anything else but wait in line to go on the toilet and apparently all of them have very very mm, severe gastroenterological uh, issues I'm immediately <laughs> picturing the, the guys that are like half naked with like the, the helmed helmet that covers their yes. face. Those are exactly yes. who yes. I picture as soon as you say villagers. And yeah. that's great. That's some of them. <laughs> I know some of them, but that's the, my first go-to for um, the, for Dragon Quest villagers at this point. But uh, <laughs> it's very amusing. Just I can picture it. Yeah, that's great. So yeah. they, they go the extra step, too, where there's even little dialogue bubbles um, during. So if you're, like, near the building, which is, you know, again, maybe not something I needed. But I'm just walking by the building and all of a sudden I see a little speech bubble pop up and it's like, oh, that feels so great. I'm like, all right. All right. You're welcome, I guess. Well, at least there's no like hidden dirty mags or whatever in this one. So you can't misconstrue. You know it's about oh, good bowel movements. I mean, actually, yes, there is one. <laughs> I was going to say, this is, this is Dragon Quest. Yes, yes. Puff Puff Mag? It's called a book of, quote, blue prints. Not blueprints. Uh, I'm not sure what the pun is there, unless I'm missing something. Uh, I think it's like the blue cover collar humor. Heart, so. There's like a reference to like blue collar humor, like blue things are like, yeah, like sexual related. I get it. That's mm. And in the original Japanese, it was, uh, I believe, uh, it explicitly said it was a dirty mag. So <laughs> North American localization still at work. But that's this game. This game is full of wonderfully terrible puns, one of which I did not realize until I was uh, talking to a mutual friend of Mike and uh, mine who uh, I had not realized the joke of Goldie Rocks and the three bars. Yes. Oh, no. How? What? That's such so, a good one as well. I know. You have to build three, three bars on this island. And you're doing it at the behest of a golem named Goldilocks. And I never realized why he was named that until the end of the chapter. And they say that line. Oh. Classic. Yeah, the localization is fantastic. Um, it's always been strong. 
there's yeah, puns. I was gonna say. They give everyone like their own like voice and stuff. And I'm not saying it just because one of the people you meet on the first island is a female knight named Brittany who talks. She's great. Like like someone <laughs> named Brittany. Hello. Um, yes, she likes saying YOLO. Everything you do, she describes as totally lit and awesome <laughs> and fantastic. And I never get tired of her. So it doesn't completely the- break like the the mystique of like the whole fantasy setting then? No, because every everyone has some kind of personality. That's just happens to be hers. Yeah, awesome. it's just the Dragon Quest flavor, isn't it? Because like every Dragon Quest game has a pretty sensational localization. Dragon Quest Builders 2 it follows through with that perfectly. And I think like Dragon Quest is its own flavor of fantasy and I never played the first game. I know Mike definitely played the first game and has put a lot of hours into it. I've seen some of his buildings, so oh, yeah. I'm a bit jealous. Um, but, like, these games feel Dragon Quest. Like, like sometimes you don't get that with some spin-offs. Dragon Quest Builders 2 feels like a Dragon Quest game. It's really magical playing them. And I think one of the biggest differences between Dragon Quest Builders 1 and 2, I think a common complaint... I know, again, Mike's holding this, is that a lot of the NPCs didn't have a lot of personality. Dragon Quest Builders 2's NPCs uh, blow that out of the water. Um, they're really fun and bright and just delightful, I think. Which is kind of a given, or a necessary part, rather, of the whole Dragon Quest um, mythos right. and the world building. is Yeah, they always have such colorful villagers and places. And even though a lot of them are like put-paste copies of a lot of the the same people it's still they're all very vibrant designs and very fun to look at and that's kind of necessary for sure same with the their dialogue and all that stuff yeah yeah well like the first one had some good characters it just the i didn't mind it at the time but now in comparison but i think the problem with the first one compared to this is everything is kind of sandboxed in the first one you have four right. chapters and they're all separate and then you have your island where you can build whatever you want and on that island, none of your story characters come. You just get generic villagers who don't talk or they help you. Oh, great yeah. Stuff. On this one, they were really smart and connected everything. So, like, the villagers you meet in each of the main story islands come back to your main island. So they actually all get to interact with each other, too. So it's way more interesting because otherwise you're building on this big island in the first game. And, like, it's just it's completely solitary. And it's neat. You can build. But, like, actually having those characters come back and be a part of that now makes it more interesting and actually makes the whole world way more cohesive. Very cool. Makes it more communal. Well, and not only that, but the builders, uh, the uh, townsfolk actually help you build in a lot of these bigger projects now, which uh, I found like a really fascinating uh, mechanic that they, uh, in later chapters, actually turn on their head, which is wonderful. Uh, But also that the mechanic of the first game was a little bit contrived that every time you went to the next chapter you started from zero you had to learn all the same recipes all over again and there wasn't really oh, a good excuse for that oh wow i didn't know that that's what made dawn of mana terrible um in a different oh, way but yeah i hate that when they like restart the level for you and you've like but i've learned all this come on and the fact that um they've also tied in a mechanic that if you go explore these little uh, strange explorer aisles, you now get infinite um, of a certain material that are the base blocks uh, so that when you're building on your own island, it's not an absolute chore that you have to stop every five minutes and go round up another thousand blocks of something is 
makes it a lot more immersive and fun to be spending your time creating rather than just moving blocks around. Well, that, it's it's way more user friendly. Oh, that's mm-hmm. great. But that being said, does it because um, that was one thing obviously uh, Minecraft kind of pioneered too of having a creative mode and a survival mode. So if you just want to build stuff, you just go to creative and get unlimited whatever you want. Whereas if you want to actually go out and survive and you know find all the materials to build your things and feel that sense of satisfaction from crafting everything from the ground up. Is that option still available or is it once you have the infinite blocks thing, like there's no way for you to go scrounging for them. There's no setting to change that for you in Builders 2? It's it's only certain things. Like there's only a handful of things you can get unlimited ones from what I know. Yes. Um, Not every single thing, but basically, yeah. When I got the message, yeah, when I got the message, it said, you can have an infinite supply of wood. I was very excited. Um, but yeah, not, not every I single mean, material that joke writes itself, but moving past that, it does, it does. <laughs> I, I was leaving it to your imagination. And not only that, they make sure that while you're actually in the chapters where, uh, you're not only building, you're having to fight, you're having to move the plot along. A lot of the things that you're building in that chapter are not things you're going to have the infinite supply of no matter what. But you can always build a toilet. Porcelain is never-ending supply. <laughs> ah, they're made of wood, my friend. Wooden toilets. That sounds terrible. <laughs> or clay. You can use clay pots. That sounds better. At least you can fire that so stuff doesn't just, like, soak into it and weird. Yeah, yeah. But, oh, my gosh. Wooden well, it doesn't, it doesn't soak into it because you have to go in once in a while and collect the stuff to make worm food. Nice. <laughs> but, it, but anyway... Yes, night soil. It's pink! It's Compost? Pink. I, know. I don't know what these people eat. <laughs> Lots um, of tomatoes. Uh, well, I mean, one. that sounds... Because you use it, I'm guessing, the night soil is to, like, fertilize your yep. crops and stuff? Yep. That's not yep. sanitary. I mean, I get what they're doing here, but, like, in real world, you can't do that because then we pass on our pathogens and it's bad for the environment. You're not supposed to use human fecal matter in compost. It's a nope, don't. That's how you get E. coli poisoning. Exactly. Apparently. That and Chipotle. <laughs> but apparently that's a, a non-issue here. That's actually how that whole thing started, but that's another story. Oh, God. Well, I guess E. coli and stuff has been um, eradicated using, you know, their heel leaves and stuff like that. So they don't have to worry about that sort of thing, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. Now, are toilets the only, like, ridiculous thing you can build? Or is there any other kind of ridiculous constructs? constructs that you can find or build or whatever it's only limited by your imagination at one point they have you building a giant pyramid and you get to pick what top you put on and one of it is a basically a bodybuilder top which is great Um, have you built a giant toilet out of toilets yet whoa not yet are they stackable i guess is the other question yes well yes they are there you go you're welcome. Okay. New project. <laughs> what can I say except anyways, um so nothing I don't think anything too crazy. There's a lot of like neat things if you if you explore each of the islands, I've noticed there's like hidden things you can find. Like there's little wooden uh Draki statues on the first island. Oh cute. And um, you can take those home with you kind of thing and use? Yeah, and then once you find them, you learn the recipe to make them yourself. So you can make like a little Draki totem. Yeah, that's so cute. 
The other thing that's really great about the game that I completely forgot to mention is you get cows and chickens in this game. It's wonderful. <laughs> it seemed to have more farming going. Yeah. yeah. It does have a lot more farming on. The only problem is, is that you can recruit a cow, then go fight a monster and end up with steak. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I had a monster kill one of my chickens when I first went out. And I'm like, I came back with five chickens and a drumstick. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? I'm foraging. You, so negligent. Look, I had six chickens behind me, and this Ooh. wizard was casting fireballs. Like I, I tried to get him out of the line of fire, but oh. just got fried chicken. Um, so the your um, your beasts of burden then can fight with you, fight for you, or like, why do you bring them with you into the field then? Well, you have to go recruit them. You do, you have to go find them, and as you're finding them, you're in areas of combat, so that there are monsters roaming around, as well as just random cows on a lava island. Right, that tracks, <laughs> and I guess yeah, this is similar to stuff in Minecraft. But then you bring them back to your main island. Like then, then you can have a little farm and get eggs and milk and stuff. Nice, and then I guess slaughter for steak every once in a while. I mean, if you want, but... are you able to propagate them? From being there, yes. or do you have to just find more. Okay, good. Okay, oh, no. Nope. Okay, I haven't. Yes, yeah, as yet. soon as soon as you bought, uh, build a barn, um, you can then uh, start the propagating starts. Oh, um, nice. Does it also make awkward noises when you walk by it? <laughs> no, it actually you have to sleep in order for certain animals to propagate, and apparently there's this big thing now that uh, if you keep breeding the cats and the dogs, you end up with rare pets. And uh, one of the hilarious things is if you end up with too many, you can send them away. Cat Island or Dog Island? <laughs> oh, no. It's, you know, sending them off to the farm, just oh, not dear. your farm. <laughs> oh, that's tragic. Shoot, oh, I need to build a barn. And then with the... Uh, with this one too, there's um, NPCs that come out with you as well because you have uh, totally not a bad guy, and um, there's the little the blonde girl, or is that just the alternate player character? Uh, just that's... the alternate. Okay. Unless, yeah, I don't know if you can get the other the alternate as a friendly. Yeah, you, you, no, you just you choose male or female. Gotcha. Yeah, and and just like in real life, if you want, you can build a dresser and look in the mirror and just switch to the other gender or change your look when, whenever you want. Mm, so <laughs> realistic, I love it. Yes, but how does the NPC fare uh, with you? Because I know combat was a bit of an issue in the last one. Rob talked a lot about that on the podcast, and I, Mike, I never heard you talk ill of it, but I don't think it's. If you were there for the building, I think more than anything. There, there's it. There's just so in the first game. There's just so little to it. You know, you, you never your sword never has a range beyond like one block, and you get stronger swords, and it's fine. It just it just gets tedious. If I may point in that you had to switch between your hammer and your weapon. <sighs> yes, right. Yeah. You, you had so to make I, sure you're on the right thing. Your weapons could break. Your weapons could also break blocks in the first game. So if you were fighting oh, near your base, you would destroy your own base with your sword. You can still break some blocks with your weapon in this game, but because you, the weapons don't break, it's not as much of an issue. Like snow, you can break with a sword, but not like stone, I think. Yeah, but I hope you're not building your whole base out of snow. <laughs> well, I mean, you might want to. I think <laughs> I would quite enjoy it, an igloo or something like that. Yeah, that's, I live in an igloo build. on a daily basis. It's pretty great. Don't tell me what to build, what materials I can use to build my stuff in. 
<laughs> Did you, I don't know if anyone else saw the Penny Arcade comic where he was talking about how he built his entire village out of cursed earth or whatever it is. Cursed soil. <laughs> oh. Oh, yeah. Spoiled soil. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then they're like, you don't have to do that. But anyway, yeah. In, in short, the combat's way better. And obviously, other two people can chime in too. But having Malroth there help fight because he's way stronger than you are. Yeah. And, the, mm-hmm. and the townspeople are good about fighting. So it's not just this. Oh, right. They get involved affair. too. And do That's they right. come along with you? Like, are you able to bring them with you? Or do they just more kind of form like an, a city guard kind of thing and then go out and attack threats on the town? It depends on what storyline that you're doing, really. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because, Alana, yeah, it was one thing you said in your review is that the combat was still kind of failing. I, I still don't like it. <laughs> but I think it might be because the gaming... I mean, having Malroth around is a lot better um, because he is basically your attacker. You still do not much damage. And the game forces you into combat quite a few times so basically i think it happened in the first game your base gets raided a few times or like attacked um by monsters i still don't like those sections because your character is intentionally weak but you're supposed to just let everybody do their own thing and once i did that it was a bit better so i just kind of let everybody else attack for me and i was like cooking food and helping out if i could but i think the key for the battle phases is and they tell you every time it's like hey we're there's a there's some monsters coming like you have to choose a dialogue option to start the battle yes and they always tell you it's like you know you should make sure that everyone who can fight has the best weapons you can make so um like that's that's really your your role it's like yes you can participate and fight but if you're equipping everyone with good weapons that goes a long way to help which you couldn't do in the last game which was right no no, so it really did all fall on you because you, you were more helpful than anyone. But now everyone can pitch in. Well, it's kind of neat that it gives you more of a, a support facet of running the town as opposed to being the adventurer. There was um, a Kickstarter game that I backed ages ago called uh, Stonehearth that kind of went into like development limbo and they more or less finished it but got to a point of it where they're like, it's kind of the best it's going to be and it's still pretty good. And the whole idea is instead of being like the actual person doing the minecrafting or running around single player, you're managing sort of a bunch of minecrafters and that kind of feels a little more what that's starting to dip into with this one. It's less about you exclusively doing all the fighting and adventuring, like you kind of get the whole town involved and manage it kind of thing. Right, right. That can that actually, Stonehearth is really fun. Yeah, and um, I love that. I need, I need to check it again because they were still in some stage of development because I, I backed it too. And um, I got to a point where the game wouldn't progress. Like, it wouldn't let me build the thing I needed to finish a quest. So I, I could not go any further. So I'm hoping oh, they fix that because I was having fun up until that point, but it was still in like alpha something at that point. Yeah, I think they've gotten past that. But anyhow, it's, yeah, yeah as long as, yeah, this <laughs> doesn't uh, penalize that, that's great. And another thing that's really great, um, tying back to Dragon Quest Builders 2, is that they actually listened to the fans when adding some new things into the game. Um, They added in Waterfalls, which I know a lot of people wanted for the first game, Mm -hmm. um, as well as uh, being able to break blocks in half and make actual slopes rather than just a very jagged staircase. Um, Oh, that's great. And but those t- tools are something you have to work to unlock. They don't come automatically. Um, but it's been for me, it's been a much more user friendly and much more smoother playing of the game than uh, the first one. And I have to say, I'm playing it on the Switch, which uh, 
I find particularly fun to just be able to pull out for a short bit and play through and then put it away and do what I have to do and then come back to it. Mike and Elena, what did you play it on? Uh, I was on PlayStation 4. Yeah, me too. Which is the only other console it's on, yeah. Yeah, I'm curious about the Switch one because I've had people ask me how it runs. I only know how the demo runs. Because, you know, some of those buildings get pretty elaborate. Yeah. I actually haven't seen almost any lag for it. I've seen a bit of clipping, um, which I've noticed in playthroughs hasn't really shown up as much in the PlayStation 4. But uh, for the most part, it there hasn't been a lot of uh, lag. The one thing that I, I don't know if this is the same for PlayStation 4, there are some dialogue that you can't pass you can't pass through and it, it takes forever to go through right is this where like malroth or the main character has like a vision or someone is talking to them like this yes goes yeah no it's a common it's a problem in the ps4 version yeah. as well and it takes so long like what is going on like how long is this vision yeah it's, it's like the dialogue is timed instead of like something you dismiss and i'm like i don't know why this sentence that's like eight words long has to be on the screen for 30 seconds. But I mean, I teach reading for a living and even I'm going, this is ridiculous, guys. Come on, nobody <laughs> reads this slow. <laughs> yeah, you'd hope that gets patched then, that you can kind of just kind of jump through that sort of thing. Because I know there's a lot of text in this game and a lot of it can't be skipped through. Mm-hmm. There's a surprising amount of text, yes. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes a little too much. I mean, if I was going to have a minor complaint, like sometimes they really, really over-explain. Like someone will say, you know what? You should build a room that has these things in it. And you're like, all right. And then there's like three more screens of dialogue. And then someone else is like, hey, did you make sure to build that thing? Because if you need to build that, you need to get this. And you can get this over there. And make sure to build this room that has this stuff in it. Did you do that room yet? I'm like, all right, all right. <laughs> like I, in the first chapter, I get it. But like it apparently just keeps going like that. Yeah, the whole yes. game is like a big tutorial and then like it's almost like the end of the game and the post game is like where the real game is. And I think to be honest, that is what everybody wants. Like the story is for what it is, really good. Um, but I think the reason you're all playing it and we're all playing it is so we can just build nonsense. Yes. Although yeah, I actually the the story is not as predictable as I thought in regards to, you know, Malroth. Like, there's some good dialogue between him and your character, and I, I'm liking it more than I thought I would. I actually don't remember really anything about the apparent story in the first game, so and is I guess it that's still a plus. And sorry, is this one still feed into the idea that you're rebuilding after things went wrong in the first uh, Dragon Quest? Is actually, it... this one ties into Dragon Quest 2, and it's mm-hmm. an alternate universe of Dragon Quest 2, so you're dealing with the bad guys from Dragon Quest 2, um certain things went differently in this alternative reality so it's tying into dragon quest 2 and the bad guys from dragon quest 2 so they get mentioned quite a bit so if you play dragon quest 2 there's quite a few easter eggs for you to go ah, ah i get that yeah like the the short version because you get reminded all the time is that in this world every time you go to a new island the the bad guys have, you know, kind of proliferated this thing where builders are the enemy. So, like, you're you're actually seen as a problem. It's like, well, you're going to ruin everything. We're not allowed to build. And then you start building, and everyone's like, oh, never mind. This is fun. We're going to do this now. Um, so you basically are converting everyone to like your 
religion of building. You get to start a cult. <laughs> kind of, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Like two people so far have said, like, I'm going to worship you now. And I'm like, no, no, you don't need to do that. But if you want to bring me lunch <laughs> <laughs> and build that thing for me, that's fine. But you don't need to worship me. Also, wash your shoes before you come in here. <laughs> get that get that cursed soil off of them. Um, yes. Now, getting to the end game, uh, multiplayer is a big thing. I guess my first question is, can PS4 players play with Switch players? Is it locked to specific systems still? I think it's locked. I didn't get a chance to try it out when reviewing it because we were told we weren't allowed to, um, and I haven't really had the time to dip into it since. One thing that is pretty annoying is the PS4 version uh, you can only play online, and the Switch version you can play both online and locally, but you all need a copy of the game, I think, on Switch, so you have to have separate Switches and each a copy of Dragon Quest Builders. Too. I guess makes um, sense. It's Yeah, I think yeah. we're past the days of like download play that was on the 3DS and such. Or even like, well, I guess it would have or been nice to have split. Yeah, exactly. I think, but yeah, I th I think they're locked between games. I'm not 100 percent sure. Oh, Should Mike, you're not going to be able to play with uh, my very very stupid village. All right. Well, I still want to see it. Okay. I'm not currently subscribing to PlayStation Plus, so I can't. I haven't actually gone online to test it out yet. Oh, okay. So I was going to ask like how that kind of plays out if. Is there any way to do the whole adventure together? Or is it just simply you just get together and just build stuff for kicks? I think it's I, just that your main island, right? Like yeah. you visit each other's islands and yeah. And you can Pretty build much, things yeah. together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you can also, um, a new tool is a, a pencil, which you can uh, copy blueprints off of other people. So you can also go over and if you like a building on someone else's island, uh, you can copy that blueprint. Oh, that's cool. Take it back with you. Yeah. And I wonder, does that also then allow you to earn um, or understand recipes and stuff faster too? If they have a recipe that you don't have, can you unlock it via seeing it on their buildings? I wonder. Mm, I wonder. Possibly not, because I think you have to learn them in a particular way. But Right, yeah, because that could break quests, I suppose. From what I understand, you'll still be given the blueprints in the... Uh the progression of the game and you'll still have to use the blueprint given to you because the new mechanic to make sure that you're not bringing all your best stuff to each island is that you're on a little ship and he's not a cargo captain so you have to store all your stuff away um including any extraneous blueprints that you get from the magic pencil so oh, that's a shame <laughs> yeah uh what i what i want to put these things you're going in the water you can't have blueprints in the water they'll get wet all right, fair. Yeah. So, like, you don't have to relearn recipes on every island, but it's probably a good idea that they don't let you carry, like, you know, millions of blocks to it because it would be way too easy to mm. break it. Yeah, that's fair. So, you do have to regather for each island. Right. Um, update on multiplayer? No, there's no cross play. The only thing you can do is share photos of your islands between Switch and PS4. Ah, uh, okay. Which I guess you could always do that via Twitter. Um, yeah <laughs> but exactly still. there's like a bulletin board in game it's actually pretty well done right. because you can you can actually like like and favorite people's photos and from there if they have it allowed you can i guess visit their island directly from that board so you're yes, like oh yeah. i like this i'm gonna go visit it right now so that's pretty neat yeah system. i don't yeah. think you can do that between switch and ps4 but yeah you can see the photos at least 
Now, uh, before we move too far away from Dragon Quest Builders 2, one thing that was I had a question of looking back at the localization stuff and the, all the text. I mean, when it gets localized to North America, we get a lot of um, Britishism dialogue. Is it, you know, just written straight as English in the UK version because that's just how you read things? Or do they also do like the the local dialecty kind of written writing in the uh, in the dialogue? That's pretty much the trademark, though, isn't it, now, for series? Because yeah. Dragon Quest Eleven has everything from Italian to Spanish to French to English. Um, Dragon Quest Builders 2, the two I can remember off the top of my head, are Scottish and Cornish. Um, so that's pretty fun. And Midlands, in fact, actually, as well. So West Country. Um, and, and it's pretty inoffensive, like they do a good job. Yeah, it's, I think they're always really good. Um, there is no voice acting, though. I don't think there was yeah. in the first game either. Um, but there is no voice acting apart from a couple of squeaks and yay, kind of on and off. But yeah, <laughs> yes. that was impressive. That was pretty accurate too. I mean, they do use. Uh, there's one point where you scream. You're supposed to be screaming yes, and it's uh hi, as in uh, in Japanese. But uh, yes. Uh, I have to say it's one of the most hilarious things, particularly when you get to that second island and everybody is dropping their uh, their H's and there's apostrophes everywhere. And I can just, it's stuck in my head and I'm just like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, governor, here to build us an island. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. There's also the, what are the little purple imp things called? Little oh flying. God. Anyway, uh, um, they apparently, I, I guess it's a, a genetic thing because they all have it, but they all talk in a lisp, which, yeah. is, kind of, which is entertaining. They're, they're big, they got big tongues hanging out. Yeah. So understandable. Yes. They got to get through that. So, Alana, what's worse, Charlotte's dialogue or the lispy dialogue? Oh, uh, Charlotte's. Um, <laughs> I don't think Charlotte's dialogue's too bad, though, but I think because it's not voiced, I think if she's voiced, I'll have a different. I'll have a different opinion of that. In the uh, trials of mana. Yeah. Come back next year when the remake's out. Yeah, I would like them just to drop it because no child that's supposed to be 13 or 14 talks like this. (laughs) She's supposed to be 13? She's 15. Yeah. Oh, wow. She was like seven. Half age. uh, She ages slower. So physically, she's like a six year old. But yeah, she's 15. Not this again. Yeah. Yeah, I look 12, but I'm a thousand. Yeah. I know. But Somebody I, hire a speech pathologist, please. Well, exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. It is literally just like they put Trials of Manor and Charlotte's dialogue in particular through a uh, word processor and went, oh, we're going to replace every R and every L with a W. And it is literally every R and every L <laughs> with every a W. <laughs> well, when I thought she was like seven years old, I thought it was cute. Now I'm thinking it's weird. But I'm still enjoying the game. Same here. I, yeah. That was the thing. Is like she appears. Like you're like okay, I buy this. She's like five, six, seven, going on her adventures. Fine, that's a, I get it. But yeah, once uh, I think it was Alana who said it on the retro that it, that she's actually supposed to be fifteen or something like that. And I was like, okay, what? I really hope my daughter isn't talking like that at fifteen because then yeah, exactly. Speech pathologist time. It's really weird though because no other RPG off the top of my head makes elves age slower. So like a fifteen year old elf looks like a fifteen year old, not like six. So, yeah, it's really bizarre. It really caught me off guard because I thought she was a sprite like Popoy from um, Secret of Mana. So, yeah. Uh, is there anything you want to see them improve upon going into Dragon Quest Builders 3 if we hopefully get one? I mean, I know Ooh. combat is still a thing that could be improved, but uh, what are like the big Skippable things? Skippable dialogue. Yeah. 
<laughs> that that would help. I don't know. I mean, I may have wait till for me. I might want to wait till I finish it. But right now, like, there's so many, so many like little like quality of life improvements that I don't know where else they can improve in terms of like building anyway. Like, I'm really happy right. with it. Yeah, it sounds vastly improved from one, which is why once it was getting like over, I think two years past. Because uh, what are they in between? This one just came out. Dragon Quest Builders one came out. Was it four years ago now? It's twenty sixteen. I 2016? think. Yeah. So yeah, it's been a bit. But after yeah, it was like sometime mid last year, right before it was announced. I was starting to get the feeling like, hey, if they don't announce Dragon Quest Builders two this year, then I'll pick up Dragon Quest Builders one. But just hearing enough from Rob of like they'll get it better on the second one just seemed more than enough reason to skip the first one completely. And here we go. So yeah, you absolutely don't need to put the first one as someone who didn't and played this. Like you don't need to know anything about the story and everything. As everyone said, the quality of life improvements are perfect. Yeah. The controls I think are better. It, you can fly. You yes. go underwater too. And how's that play? Out? Yep. Yeah. It's all good and nice until you accidentally fall off an Island and suddenly a mysterious, uh, uh, sea monster kills you before you can get up back on dry <laughs> land. Um, That's terrifying. I I would say that if you are a diehard fan of the Dragon Quest series, um, and for some reason you haven't picked up Dragon Quest uh, Builders One, you might want to play it just because of the hilarious in jokes about um, the ending for the original Dragon Quest. Oh, okay. Um, just as far as the whole like uh rule with me and i will give you uh uh let you rule over half of everything and you find out it's half of a itty bitty teeny tiny uh space and uh <laughs> getting to see those little jokes is hilarious but you can get most of those through watching a let's play and not having to deal with those not so great controls yourself. That's true. Although it was bundled with a lot of, uh, with Dragon Quest Builders too. At one point there was like, you get a discount or something like that if you pre-ordered, but either way, um, is there any, anything else anyone hopes to see in future iterations or is this one almost the perfect one? Oh wait, no, no, there is one thing. Give us some new music. <laughs> oh god, yeah. Yes. Please, yes. Give us more give us more than five tracks. At least orchestrate it. Or orchestrate it. Yes. Oh god. It's It's got oh. the Dragon Quest eleven issue. Mm, uh-huh. I mean it's issue. it's not it's a I think they picked some right? Yeah, I think there were some better songs this time around. Like yeah. the first game, the first game it really kind of graded after a while, but it's still <laughs> it's still the same stuff. Like the the song on the third island that I'm on right now is literally the same song in the last island in the first game, I think. It's, it's probably exactly the same song from Dragon Quest 2 as well. <laughs> Not <laughs> to spoil anything. And I, I will say that, you know, partway through the game, if you've collected enough of these little mini medals, you do get a instrument that you can play so that you can change the music in certain areas, but only to certain songs. But this is one of my big issues with dragon quest in general is that the music needs some serious updating and it's mm -hmm. not happening yeah. yeah go watch if you if anyone here hasn't go watch the trailer the e3 trailer from this year for dragon quest builders 2 and this music does not fit at all because it's just that whatever that typical you know march or whatever it is i'm like, bum, like it's a cool trailer bum, 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 yeah bum, bum. but it's like yeah the tone doesn't fit what you're watching it's just weird 
it boomed over else. the show hall as well because it was on like their trailers were on loop over the Square Enix booth. Um, and literally every time I went in there, it was like, it's Dragon Quest Builders 2. And I was like, oh my God, not again. Like, as I was queuing up for things. I remember watching that E3 announcement and that guy was so enthusiastic. The <laughs> announcement, it was great. And that narrator is great. Right in your face. I also really need to find out if the narrator for that trailer is the efficient guy from the end of the wizard because he sounds like the same guy i mean i don't know who else has seen the wizard but i'm like as soon as i saw that trailer i'm like oh my god that's the guy who introduced mario brothers 3 to me as a child get the star jimmy yes yes but he does he does it's the same way they did the dragon quest builders 2 trailer because oh gosh I'm gonna dragon to go quest look. builders 2 like he really wants you to know it's the second game not to be confused with the first. Yes. Yeah, I love The Wizard and how it was just a big old advertisement for Mario Brothers 3. I, okay, well, this is not really what we're here to talk about, but I would actually debate you on that one. <laughs> it kind of was, but, like, I actually think there's more to that movie than... There I is. Think they, but it, I don't know. I actually, maybe it's partially nostalgia, but I actually really do like the story and plot of that movie. Like, it's kind of sad. Oh, no, I totally agree. It's not a bad okay. movie at all. It's it's very funny, though, just that it was just building up to this whole game you've never seen before. Yeah. Which was really kind of cool. And then, you know, the power glove and everything. It was very uh, go Nintendo. Yeah. Until they it's went so wrong bad. and made Mario Brothers, which was so bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well... Uh, all that being said, uh, I am now just that much more enthused again to Dragon Quest Builders 2. It's uh, a shame that there's no real couch co-op for the Switch, so um, it's not like Gwen and I can just pick it up and play together, unfortunately. So that's a bit of a counterpoint to it, but maybe if she likes it enough here, maybe she'll pick it up at her dad's house and then we can play via Switch on that or something like that. But uh, another or, game... Um, or, or... Or, I don't know if you were getting to this yet... You can get her a Switch Lite. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> She's already got one of her dad's. She doesn't okay. need one here. All right, that's true. All right, go on. <laughs> I'll stop trying to take over the show now. Oh, pff, it's okay. But I do appreciate the um, the, the segue, uh, which we will be getting into the Switch. But I am going to take another... Uh, I'm going to switch it up. Uh, haha. And go uh, with what I've been <laughs> playing you. on the Switch, which is Undertale. I've finally gotten to it even longer than it took Mike to get into it, apparently, because Mike <laughs> was being hassled for years. It took me several years of all of my friends saying, you need to play this already. And it's kind of where I've been at as well. People have been saying, you got to play this already. Uh, and this Christmas, when we got our Switch, our we got the uh, Let's Go Eevee version. So our system came with Let's Go Eevee pre-installed on it. But also, uh, Gwen had put Undertale on her Christmas wish list, so our Switch also came with Undertale somehow mysteriously installed on it. <laughs> so uh, her mind was quite blown, and she was super stoked to have Undertale because she wanted it so badly. Um, but I wasn't shelling out for the physical version. Um, so <laughs> at any rate, uh, we got that, and she has just, like, even before getting into it, like, she was was like, oh, I want this game, and I want, like, all these things from I was like, well, do you even know you like the game? Have you played it? She's like, no, but I've seen a bunch of videos on YouTube, and it's really cool, and I really want to play it, and I really like it, and she has just been so smitten with it, and ever since playing it, like, she just goes through the soundtrack nonstop. If you ask her or mention anything related to Undertale, it'll be a diatribe 
afterwards of just her nonstop. Did you know this and this secret and this Easter egg and this thing? And what's your favorite song? And who's your favorite character? And did you know this? Did you know Muffet was nerfed? Did you know Toby Fox didn't make Muffet? Somebody else didn't. Like, it's insane. And it will just keep going. Amazing. Yeah, oh, yeah. she's a huge fan. After I finished it, I spent a long time on several wikis, too. So I know where she's coming from. Yeah. And I got to say, it, this is where I put my teacher hat on because, you know, having taught middle school and having a lot of kids who are going through, you know, struggles, they really relate to Undertale. And um, ha- it, it was so amazing when a couple of them would come in with Undertale backpacks and I'd go, oh, my God, you've got an Undertale ba- backpack. Um, I like Sans. And they would all just light up because they identify so easily with all of the characters in that game. And it's really fun to see that, you know, it's a game that really is that a lot of different uh, ages are able to play and able to relate to and talk about um, in ways that are a lot more healthy than some other uh, games that will not be ever mentioned here. (laughs) And that's the true magic of the game. Cause like I've, obviously had a very overhyped for me by anybody and anybody, everyone who's tried to tell me about it. And it definitely stands up. Like the music's great. It done a great job on its really weird, quirky design. And it's, it's definitely a, like uh it's a monster world. Everything goes kind of thing. So that sometimes I have to like really suspend my disbelief to be like, cool, there's a piano in a cave. I'm okay with that. Or whatever <laughs> bizarre scenario, like some of it is just legitimately like, eh, I just felt like doing a thing. And uh, here's this, you know, uh, deus ex machina to just make things work but other stuff it just it makes sense in the context of this bizarre monster fantasy world and sometimes the battle mechanics like i was doing a pacifist run so it can get a little repetitive when you keep going in and failing and have to re-go through so much of these longer term mercy fights so some of that got a little grating but overall it is a very rewarding experience to uh, go through being patient enough to to work through conflict instead of just being like, no, I'm just going to kill it and just move on. You know, it does teach a certain amount of life skill with that and getting to know characters mm-hmm. and getting to know everyone's individual quirks. And it also teaches you the patience of like actually reading how enemies are reacting to your actions. So that way you can find the actual way to um, sedate them and get them to be spared. I think all that is really neat. And yeah, it does feed very well into um, teaching kids you know, other, other ways and other ways to express themselves. Yeah, that's true. And it, I always, I had a set of uh, students last year and each one of them had a different route that they preferred. And it reminds me a little bit of the conversation we were having before this podcast started about uh, certain people uh, liking certain ways of playing the game and, you know, unless you're Mike, you don't judge each other for which game uh, style of way you're playing the game. Wait, what? So. <laughs> Mike, when we say this, my favorite run is the pacifist run. Just because I enjoy the genocide run because of what it does to you emotionally doesn't mean that I don't love the pacifist run. Like, I wasn't really judging. I was just commenting. Yeah, whatever. Just commenting that Alana belongs down in Monster World, apparently. Yeah, I'd I'd love to be down in Monster World. Apparently, like, well, no, she doesn't because the monsters don't want to fight you. They don't want to kill people. Alana probably apparently does. I don't want to kill anybody. (laughs) (laughs) So that butterscotch cinnamon pie, though. 
Mm, yeah. I have a colleague who's a huge fan of the show. Uh, sorry, who's a huge fan of the game. And uh, she has developed a recipe for it. I haven't tried it yet, but I really want to. Uh, the closest we've gotten at home is Gwen found on her millions of hours of YouTube that she consumes um, a craft that you can make using bottle caps and a glue gun. And you make little pies. And she made a butterscotch cinnamon pie. And she was very excited. And we oh wanted God, her to nice. turn it into like a little button or a pin or something. We have to get her some pin backs and she can glue it on. But yeah, she made that and a few other Aww. ones. But she was super stoked to be like, I made a butterscotch cinnamon pie and it's from Undertale. And did you know that if you have the butterscotch pie when you're fighting Asgore, uh, he goes easy on it? Yeah, it's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> There's <laughs> so many little things like that. Yeah. Like it, and it's how do you, some of them is like, how do you figure them out? Like she was telling me about um, like the medicine statue in the MTT resort it used to be the statue that's getting rained on way earlier down in the waterfall area. And I was like, how do you right. how do you know this? And she's like, I just read about it or I saw it in a thing. But, like, no one actually tells you that. But it's such a weird little, you know, Easter egg thing. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of that. And there's that bizarre fight against, like, the, the big bad afterwards if you did the pacifist run. Uh, or attempted to, like I did. But turns out mine was neutral because I still need to go back in and work with one of the characters a little more, but uh, I still did that big bizarre fight with the very out of context enemy after Asgore. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and again, Gwen was super less like quoting what each of the hearts were, what they represented. Like she just knows all this stuff by heart. Like she's so invested in it and it's fascinating, um, which I mean, she's right outside. So I'm not going to say it too loud, but I bought her the piano sheet music. So she's going to be pretty stoked. Oh, nice. Because oh. She's been learning piano. So um, it'll be hopefully, the idea is it'll be the a goal for her to want to get back to practicing because she's been on hiatus for the summer just through scheduling. But uh, mm-hmm. we're like, go back to it and you can play this because yeah. She oh, loves you should. It. Um, unless you already know, or well, actually, she's probably already told you. I, I know when uh, a couple of E3s ago when they announced Undertale on PS4, um, I had not played it at the time, of course. But a few other people, we were there like in the theater, we were watching it and they said, hey, Undertale's coming to PS4 and a couple of of our staff like looked at each other and they're like, okay, we don't want to spoil anything, but like there's a thing that happens later in the game and we're not sure how they're going to do that on console. And I (laughs) I never knew what it was until I got to the end of the game and I played it on Switch too. But I, if you don't know already, Greg, um, I would look up how they handle that sequence on PC because it's a little different. Yeah. Weird and fascinating. It's incredible. Yeah. I will a literal like throw my controller away like are you kidding moment. Uh-huh. <laughs> I will have to look into it. Uh, I don't know if I've gotten that because I found the secret switch uh, fight and beat it. And that was really yes. neat. The mechanics That's of that fun. were really oh, yeah. cool. Um, Gwen was super inspired by it because she's like that looks really hard. And like I did it on the second try I think. But it was it's tricky. And she was really excited because I think she's only seen YouTube videos of it. So seeing it happen live she was very stoked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like the little throw of bringing the mad character back and the little amp up on his, their music. And, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and then I also found that other hidden fight where you go back on, uh, and to hang out with, uh, Papyrus's super secret combat training. Um, that whole sequence is hilarious as well. <laughs> oh shoot. Wait, I don't think I know about that. Uh, it's, it's in the pacifist run. If you fight with Undyne, and then Papyrus calls you in the middle of the fight and is like, hey, you should all hang out. If you remember that. Oh, okay, okay, okay. And then you yeah. go back and he's outside her house. And then from right. then on, shenanigans. Um, yes. Yeah, there you go. 
So that was great. And like, yeah, just the little things you can find, like finding the mystery key and where that leads you to and the secrets you can discover. Like there's a lot of neat stuff about the mythos of this world that Toby Fox clearly put a lot of work into. And it is super charming. And I mean, I think the experience overall was like slightly tainted for me just because again, it was so overhyped as like, it'll alter your life that you come in with this expectation of like, okay, cool, alter my life game. And yeah, you yeah. know, and that yeah. took away a bit for me, but I still, I see the charm and I see the love and, you know, I already said a lot of, uh, extolled a lot of its merits. It's just, it's a really good game. And I'm, I am grateful that if anything my daughter is hyped about, this is the game, you know, she's not like as cool stoked yeah. about Overwatch or Call of Duty or something dumb that's just mindless violence or whatever. Like this is the thing she's into and she likes the mechanics. And my friend too, who I had mentioned She's super into it because she just loves the fact that you can go through this whole game with with mercy, right? You don't have to fight and kill anything if you don't want to. Right. Have all um, three of you gone through all three runs uh, or have you just done one and we're like, oh, I was good. Can I plead I, the fifth? <laughs> I, I've done I've done neutral and pacifist because it's. It's almost, it's kind of like Valkyrie Profile, where it, unless you all see both endings, you haven't really seen the whole game. And if you haven't seen the A ending in Valkyrie Profile, it, it does change your whole outlook on that game. So it, I decided it was too important not to do. Um, but I won't do the genocide run. I watched it on YouTube. Because <sighs> I wanted to know about it, but I don't <laughs> like killing all my friends, Alana. So Yeah, I'll God. Yeah, no, I've done all three. Um, I've also I also reviewed the PS4 version, um, but I did play it on Steam first. Uh, was there yeah, any secret boss stuff or whatever in the PS4 one that was exclusive to it? Uh, they did add not a boss, but there's a secret. There's a sink. If you go under the sink or under the fridge in um, Sands and Papyrus's house, yeah, that that's was the same added. one. Yeah, it was added in the PS4 version. I think they patched it into the Steam version afterwards and is on the Switch version as well. So, Okay, yeah. cool. Because it was very much colored to the Switch, but I'm wondering if the colors were probably the same in the PS4 one too. My understanding is they added they added that little building on the PS4 one, and then they added the fight and something else in the Switch one. So they kind of like yes, built sorry. upon it. Oh, yeah. I see. Yeah, so I'm not sure if that battle is on the other versions yet. Oh, I don't know, actually. No, the building definitely is, but yeah, not. I don't know. But that's still like a neat little nod to encourage you to kind of look elsewhere for it. I also liked, because um, I guess Gwen hadn't turned on the options in the Switch one, it has the like the dynamic uh, outline for the uh, the game box kind of thing. So Because it, it, the screen is smaller mm -hmm. than your TV screen, so you get this like dynamic like outline, kind of like, yeah. a, like a super nintendo super game boy kind of idea oh thank you i'm so glad you said super game boy first because i was like i'm gonna date myself and mention this <laughs> got you there uh <laughs> got your back but i love how it's dynamic and it changes and yeah gwen was just like how did you turn that on how does this happen i was like did you someone tells you just go to the options oh my god uh so it was uh it, it's really neat how those little care and touches that he continues and the team continues to put into it as it keeps growing and adding to new consoles and new things and i am yeah, excited to check out the other versions, the other runs, and finish my true pacifist run, and then go uh, check out Deltarune. Oh yeah, you should do that. Deltarune is fantastic, but we don't have a date for the full game yet. Uh, but I'm really excited for it. 
Yeah, because we've got chapter one right now, right? Or whatever it is. Yeah, it's chapter one, and the rest of the game will be released in a whole um, at some point. We're not getting them in chapters. Oh, okay. I was I was wondering about that, actually. So this is kind of like an extensive demo kind of thing? Yeah, that's right. Chapter one is really a bit misleading. It is basically a demo of the beginning of the game. Oh, gotcha. Well, I'm going to take that segue because speaking of demos, <laughs> Onanaki dropped and Alana, you were playing that. I did, yeah. And funnily enough, this is also a demo for the first half hour, hour of the game. Okay. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, Oninaki, for a bit of background, is Tokyo RPG Factory's third game. So they made I Am Setsuna and Lost Sphere with an E and an A. Uh, both third. of those are... <laughs> and third time's the charm. <laughs> yeah, hopefully third time's the charm. Um, I mean, both of those have been received okay. I think some of the main issues, and neither of them really grabbed me. I didn't play them, but neither of them sold themselves to me because they just felt like they were trying to go for capture the chrono trigger magic which you know one of the developers of uh, one of the lead developers in the team is actually on oninaki um so one of the lead developers from chrono trigger yes correct um and yeah and it's they may have just been playing it too safe but yeah they've been yeah moderately well received yeah they've been okay received um but um oninaki is very different because the first two are turn-based RPGs. oninaki is a uh, action RPG, much in the vein of, mm, I'd say East a little bit, because that's the only real kind of similar style game I can think of, but nice. it's more of its own beast, basically. It's nice to see them do something that isn't heavily inspired by something, a bygone era, I would say, which is really good. Um, I'd like to hope that yeah, after two games that are like that, they feel they're like, okay, we've kind of beat this to death, we've accomplished of reinvigorating it to a point, people like it, alright, let's try something else. Correct, yeah, that's what I think. Um, but yeah, so Oninaki, I think the most interesting thing about the demo so far is that it's given me a flavor for the world and the story, and actually I'm more interested in that than the gameplay, so... That does look really fascinating from what we've seen at E3, yeah. Exactly, yeah, so it's more like, um, so you play a Watcher, and he's called, oh god, he's got a unusual name kagachi um uh watchers in this game are essentially people who can travel between the living world and a world called the beyond which is essentially where uh, once you die your soul goes there and after a term a period of time your soul passes um so these people these watchers go into the beyond and they go to save the lost souls to guide them to death otherwise they'll turn into monsters um so a lot of the uh well, the, a lot of the demo is just introducing you to the characters, the world, and this mechanic. Um, it's not really... It's mostly divided between, like, missions. So you start off rescuing a little boy who's passed, um, and he wants to go and see his parents, um, who are also dead, but you have to guide him through an area. Um, it's just really interesting. And then the second part as well, you also have another child who was promised um, to that he was going to that they were going to show him the proper way to death, but he didn't die properly. So he's not passed properly or very well. So I guess essentially watches are a little bit like they're, they're guides. They guide the lost souls and they do very good things. But what's interesting is how emotional these little storylines are. So even Kagachi is kind of your typical Japanese RPG protagonist where he's very gruff and very sarcastic, but there are moments in the demo where he has this like moment of wavering or he, He's like thinking about things a little bit more. So you can see like where Oninaki is trying to take the story and trying to do something a little bit different. Um, 
So I'm fascinated by what it's doing. Uh, we haven't really got enough yet to go on. Um, I just think it sounds a lot better and a lot more interesting than, say, um, I don't really remember that I am Setsuna's story. I think uh, the girl was going off to be sacrificed or something, or she was going on a pilgrimage and Lost Fear had mechs, I think. Yeah. But, yeah, this definitely feels like something that's a little bit more unusual, um, not something that's really been done too well, too much before, I'd say. Um, but combat itself is okay um i like some of the mechanics that the game introduces you to so the demo shows you um you have basically a companion with you called a demon and these demons are the lost souls that you've saved so you can recruit them uh, i think there's a predetermined amount in the game we don't know how many we're going to be able to recruit uh, the demo only lets you play with two in story mode and you get four in something called battle mode which lets you play around with some extra skills and stuff like that just gives you a flavor of what you might get later on in the game um but the demons themselves uh they basically act i'm gonna compare this to code vein because it's the only thing i can really think of um so depending on what character you have i think it changes you can change weapons by changing demons um so the first demon you have aisha she has a samurai sword or a katana uh, so your attacks are a little bit quicker and then the second demon you get uh i forget his name uh he's a lancer so a lot of your attacks and skills are kind of dragoon based like final fantasy uh, style jumps and leaps and stabbing things from a distance um so they are utilizing watcher skills within the gameplay which i think is really fun you can also travel between the living and the dead worlds at any point which is really cool um it doesn't do anything special but it does open up some some areas you need to progress uh, by swapping between the living and the dead worlds um and all the mon monsters respawn as well when you do that um so again it's very different from anything else they've ever done but the little flavor of what we've got is just a nice teaser i'm not like bowled over by what i've seen but i am interested which is more than i can say for I am Setsuna in Lost Fear at the moment. Well, that's a good sign then that they're they're building and and moving forward with some, uh, I guess, more innovation instead of playing it yeah. safe, like we said. So it's nice to see there's enough of that here. And design-wise and everything, it also looks stunning. Yeah, I really love... I think, again, Tokyo RPG Factory's um, character designs and artwork is all really good, and I think it translates really well to the game uh the um art style um in particular in game feels a little bit different because i almost feel like the other two games are a bit more cutesy um if maybe chibi maybe a little bit simpler but oninaki definitely seems to have some very lush and vibrant environments coupled with slightly more proportionate characters um but yeah i'm intrigued by what i've seen so far and what I've been kind of reading about the demo, or I guess just any previews and stuff that anyone got at E3, was just that it's the gameplay itself, the combat can be a bit repetitive. Did yes, you find that? That's, yeah, definitely. Um, it's a little bit slow as well. So another thing that is tied to your demons are like, not just skills, um, which um, have their kind of recharge, they have their own recharge meters. But um, depending on what um, demon you have equipped, you can do certain dodging. So one of them has a jump. But if you swap to another one, you can't jump anymore, but you might be able to dodge attacks. Swapping between the demons takes a little bit of time. You have to hold down the left stick, either up, down, left or right, uh, depending on what one's equipped in what direction. But it can take up to like five, six seconds. And when you're 
you know, when you're in the middle of combat, because it's not like it's instant combat like a Tales game or a Star Ocean game. This is like open world action RPG. Things come at you and they start attacking you. Or if you're near an enemy, then they probably will try and attack you. Then it can take a while to swap between them. Um, and yeah, the main attack button is one button. Um, you want so, that stuff to be snappy for sure. Yeah, it's probably my biggest criticism so far. I think Near Automata does it so well. Like the dodging is so pitch perfect that like, I think dodging should be mandatory in a modern action RPG. And the fact that it's tied to one demon is a little bit of a pain. And if there's a lot going on on screen, there's a little bit of delay input as well, I found. And I'm playing on the PS4. I, the demo I downloaded is on the PS4. I may check out the Switch one as well just to see if there's any difference. But early reports are saying not really. Which is a good thing because, as we've just seen with Dragon Quest Builders 2, there is some frame rate difference and things like that. But Oninaki doesn't seem to be part of that um, group. But... Yeah, definitely repetitive gameplay. The world is interesting enough for me to be intrigued, but I think the gameplay needs to do a little bit more. Um, yeah. It's one I definitely want to check out. What about yourselves, Mike or Lucy? Is this on your radar at all? Um, slightly, although I haven't played the first two games yet. I know they're not related, but I feel like I should at least have some experience with them. So I haven't really thought about picking them up yet, although... Everything you say makes it sound like I maybe should. I at least want to get the demo. It sounds good. There are very few games that I fully admit that I pull, uh, play as soon as they come out, simply because of my giant, giant backlog. And <laughs> also that, you know, as a school teacher, I unfortunately am usually uh, grading papers well into the night. Um, so that... Uh, I usually, being the social media per person, just watch social media and go, ooh, everybody likes that game. I'll play that. Uh, so I have to admit, this isn't hasn't been on my radar uh, quite so much. Um, though, now that we've brought it up, I'm, I'm sort of getting uh, Valkyrie Profile uh, vibes from this game, which interests definitely. me. Yeah, definitely. The whole idea of reincarnation and um, Lost Souls definitely ties into that. I can see that. Though nothing will uh, ever please me as much as getting to scream, come to me, my noble Einherion. <laughs> uh, so, uh, it, you know, I'll see, I'd like to see more of the game and hear more of the gameplay to really, before I make a decision. Yeah, the battle mode, so I didn't really talk about battle mode too much, I referred to it. Um, it lets you play with two extra demons, one which has an axe and one which has a scythe, and it lets you have all four skills equipped at the same time. Uh, um, four skills. So in the main story, you can only level up your character to a certain level and you can only learn a certain number of skills. But this uh, battle mode lets you have all four skills on all four demons at once. They all have different skills. So it lets you play around a little bit more, but yeah, you're only level 20. It's still not really enough. We don't know how long the game is. We don't really know where it goes beyond these first couple, like this first hour. So yeah, I want to see how if it decides to innovate beyond the first couple of hours, um, yeah, the first section of the game. I guess we can only hope, really. But uh, it sounds yeah. like the demo's basically geared towards your curiosity, Lucy. So maybe you'll give it a shot and see what you have to say about it. I want to try the demo myself, and we'll probably get to downloading it. I was just too busy with the other site projects and such this past week with games and getting really into Undertale. So it 
kind of fell off the side for me for the moment. And since someone else was jumping on it, i.e. you, Elena, uh, I was like, cool, it's handled for site purposes. So <laughs> I'm not going to stress about it right now. No need to, no. Uh, the game is out 22nd of August, I believe. It's not too long, so we'll find out pretty soon. And you should come back to RPG Fan to find out what we think of it. Um, other things that we talked about last episode were Final Fantasy fourteen and Bloodstained. And uh, Mike, you have been into Shadowbringers a little bit. Have you caught up to it all? Oh, jeez, no. Oh, you're still. You know, I used I used to write the I used to write these giant reviews of Final Fantasy fourteen, and like the last month or so, I have just not had the time and gotten around to it. So everyone else. At least everyone else I know and my friends at the site um, are ahead of me. That's fair. So and Mike... I can't talk about it as much as Caitlin. Ah, then that's totally fine. I don't think anyone can talk about 14 as much as Caitlin. And she's just such a... What's the word? Uh, aficionado? Font no. of knowledge? I wish, sorry? That's a good word. A, a font of knowledge? Or yeah. aficionado works? Yeah. Either or, I guess. Yeah, like she just... She's just so invested in passion and and yeah like if anyone makes me want to play 14 it's listening to caitlin talk about it almost always mm -hmm. and for like mike solosi was on he hasn't caught up to shadowbringers either but he has at least been able to, at a place where he can try out like gunbreaker and some stuff like have you been able to try any of the new content where you're at still in 14 or is it mostly just stuff that you're looking forward to um no i mean i'm in shadowbringers i'm like little, okay i'm 72 now out of 80 so like I'm I'm a little bit there, but I've only still only done one of the dungeons so far. Well, what but, do you think of the world I mean, so far? But yeah, the world is really fascinating. Um, I like what they're doing with the story. Um, it, if I had playing been playing straight through, I probably would be further. But I have stopped to like work on my gatherers and crafters, and I did check out both new classes. And I'm definitely going to be leveling up dancer because oh. I always thought dancer looked interesting, but the more I've played it so far, it's a lot of fun. It's just, it's really, really fluid and interesting and different from the other classes to play. Which you would hope, being a dancer, they would have yes. that fluidity in his gameplay. And yeah, it, it does sound really neat to try out. What did you start out 14 as way back in the day? Um, Paladin, and that's still what I am. Which does that start from Gladiator? Yes. Nice. Um, back back in the day, we weren't spoiled like you kids now, where you're like, I want to play Paladin, so I'm going to level Gladiator. At first, you had to like level Gladiator to thirty, and also level White Mage to fifteen. Oh, you had to level two classes to get I mean, every I, job. I had to go that through that pain as well. So. Yes, um, I mean it's really not that bad, but I I also think it was a really good change they made. You know, mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, it's like no, it's like don't don't confuse people. If someone wants to play this role, don't make them play another one for fifteen levels just to get the they, thing they want. They brought that in for Stormblood, didn't they? I think. Although the the part of me that loves like tactics and um, Final Fantasy V and like the crossing of jobs and the especially in tactics where learning certain jobs unlocks other ones, I can you know that appeals to me to a point. And I guess it's not the worst when you probably can consider like, well, if I do want to dip back over to White Mage and learn something else, I've already got 15s in White Mage, so there is that. But yeah, I can see how it would be a pain for people to be like, well, wait, why can't I be a plat paladin? I gotta. Oh, I gotta go do another class now for umpteen hours? Oh, okay. So it's most likely a welcome change. Just uh, the nerd in me is like, but multiple classes. 
Anyways. Well, you still can't. I mean, yeah. my my white mage is almost as high as my paladin because I like playing both. It yeah, just, and all that is just not requiring again. it for one job. I think was a good move. Okay, that's fair. And I imagine that like would have carried over to like you know gladiator and like black mage to be a dark knight or something. That could have been a a thing possibly. Could have. Yeah. Was that the only one that they had that for? Oh no no all, all, all the, the jobs had all that. the classes the game launched everything before Heaven's Word had a class that turned into a job and then when when they introduced dark knight and machinist and astrologian they just said well no they're just you just start as these jobs there's not like a prerequisite to unlock them first oh cool and that's how they do all the new ones now nice so you're liking dancer you're liking the world you're liking the way the story's going since everyone has been extolling that it's the best final fantasy ever basically are you (laughs) apparently feeling that so far (laughs) um i mean i think it could be I, I don't, the people that I know that are saying that, I believe them, so I'm expecting good things. Well, it's I a just, lot for Caitlin to let 12 be trumped. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can at least say that after the first dungeon, there's a really big reveal that is one of those like, oh, okay, now I, like, you understand, like, the very basics of why it's called Shadowbringers, but once you finish that dungeon, it's like, it sinks in more like oh this is what they're going for so that was really interesting good that it gets you invested right out the gate too it's not like the slow build of like why am i doing this yeah yeah i mean you're invested before that because the soon after you get to this world like you have to like choose like hey do you want to go see this friend of yours or this friend of yours and you can do them in any order which is neat um and once you do both of those then the story progresses but uh, both of them. The first one I did, especially like you meet some new characters and like you know telling you about how horrible this world is because everyone's like being hunted down by these senators and you're like okay, all right. And then something horrific happens to someone and yeah, I had emotions. All right, and that's good. It's uh, <laughs> Caitlin was saying yeah, she had a lot of emotional ties to it too, which is great. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, Alana. Are you in 14 as well, or is that one you've kind of dodged? Uh, I stopped playing about two and a half years ago, just time commitments. So I haven't played... I stopped playing before um, Stormblood came out, um, so I'm very far behind, unfortunately. You and me both. <laughs> I've wanted to go back to it for a while, but there are various reasons I can't or don't have... I just don't really have the time, and I'm on a completely different data center to everybody as well so yeah that's the problem we couldn't well i don't know if you yeah, wanted I mean, to, I mean, you I, play with us i mean i'm gonna move if i come back <laughs> so yeah it's 100 percent guaranteed it would be more appealing if you could be with us i'm guessing yeah and yeah like i said in the last episode my free month was up pretty quick i was like oh i'm gonna get into this and i got six levels in and then got busy with projects and yeah i couldn't get back to it so i feel your pain alana it's basically where i've been for the past few years and i thought last month this is the month i can finally maybe get back and and commit and nope so uh lucy are you uh big on the mmos i am not big on the mmos um we did recently upgrade our house uh to enforce our wi-fi wing um to make sure that uh several other people could uh play mmos but it's always been difficult for me, partially because I'm one of those people who likes to stop and go, Woo, there's something for me to pick up and completely forget what everybody else is doing. So 
Um, I have the attention span of a squirrel, so MMOs have not always been the best route for me. And that's totally fair. Uh, there's uh, definitely MMOs that have lots of shiny, sparkly things, and you know, 14 is not above that. There's a lot of things to pick up and grab and craft and figure out, and why is a level 1 spear excessively more expensive on the crafting board than it is in the actual store? I don't know. Maybe I don't understand, but you know, problems. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there, and if you don't have the time to get into it, then what are you going to do? Well, it's it's that much more expensive because us crafters know that people will spend that kind of money on it. So, But why is it better than the one in the stores? Well, because you can craft high-quality ones. Um, I mean, you're, you don't have to pay 10,000 gil for it, but if you want the high-quality one, that's what they're going for. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if we were playing together, obviously I would just give you whatever you wanted because that's, oh, that's what right I do. Well. But I will see you on Hyperion. Yeah, but I mean, for strangers, <laughs> like no, you'll, you'll pay what I'm selling it for. At any rate, um, other millions of games that we had to play. Uh, Alana, you were getting into Bloodstained. Uh, no, Mike was. <laughs> oh, sorry, Mike was. <laughs> I haven't. I don't own. She's it about yet. to. I'm a, I'm about to own it. Oh right, like, that's in, why I read that in 24 okay. hours. <laughs> Sorry. That's why my brain got confused, because that's right. You were saying you were picking it up uh, to play in between Trails of Cold Steel. But, Mike, you've been playing it. There we go. Now I know what's happening. I yes. swear. Um, yeah, actually, I I just... Another reason I'm behind on 14, because I had started Bloodstained first, and I wanted to finish that. And I did. Well, I sort of finished it. I have 99.6% of the map done, Yay. which is bothering me. Do it. Beat it. 100%. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I like it a lot. It's it's exactly what everyone else says it is. It's it's a really good follow-up to both Symphony of the Night and some of the Game Boy Castlevanias. Like, it has that vibe to it. Um, I imagine it runs much better on PS4 because I've been playing on Switch, but, you know, I got through it. It's fine. It's fun. I Pretty early on, I found... There's a lot of different weapon types, um, again, like Symphony of the Night and the Game Boy ones, Castlevanias. And, you know, there's axes, there's swords and great swords, and there's whips, and there's guns. Um, but the most important thing, if you happen to come across it and find it, because I go and explore everything, is there's a flying sword. And that's really all I needed. <laughs> oh, nice. Which, wasn't there one um, like that in Symphony of the... No. There, there yeah. is a play. Sort of, yeah. Um, sword there's of. A, there's another sword in Symphony of the Night that um, I forgot what it's called because there's two of them. There's like the Crestogram and something else where it's like it just does a really quick attack and you can just mash the button, do real damage if you're like, oh, the Quackenoise or something. Yeah. Something like that. Um, there's also something like that in this, which excited me. Um, but it doesn't, it's not a flying sword, so it's not as cool. I used it longer than I should have probably because it has an attack of like 14 and everything else I'm picking up is like 30, 40, but I'm like, yeah, but these don't fly across the screen. Um, so no, it's, it's a lot of fun. The, the environments are fantastic. The music is great. Um, voice acting is pretty good. Um, David Hayter making a, an appearance. Yes. David Hayter. <laughs> But I, I mean, he has a name, his character, he plays the samurai who has a name, but Zangetsu. yeah, but I don't ever call him Zangetsu. I just said, oh, I just had to fight Snake. Oh. Um, Snake Getsu? 
Zangetsu is the main character in uh, the uh, prequel game, uh, Curse of the Moon, which is based on the older Castlevania style, like stage based mission based. Like yeah. Yeah. Oh, which that's is where he comes from. Fun. Okay. Yeah. Um, so does Miriam, though, as well. So And also uh, Gebel, who is, uh, I don't think this is a spoiler, the bad guy. <laughs> so he's right. like the Dracula, basically. No, yeah, we talked yeah. about so, how yeah. terrible a bad guy name he was last time. Yeah. I mean, Bloodstained is a kind of cross. From what I've seen, is a cross between, and someone's probably already said this, it's Symphony of the Night meets Aria and Dawn of Sorrow. Exactly. Because, yeah. Yeah. Aria and yeah. Dawn of Sorrow, you pick up souls. Um, and in Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, you pick up shards. And the souls and the shards give you different abilities and you can kind of equip various different ones. Also a bit like Time Spinner, where you get different abilities depending on what spheres you pick up. And you everyone should play time spinner that there too. we go yeah. <laughs> i do have one important question do you know if the cat is there's a cat unicorn enemy isn't there that comes out from the back of the screen or yes. something like that yes. does what, what do you know what that shard does um some of them there's 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 like oh. three palette versions of them i have two oh them. there's a black one too um Excellent. they're they hurt too when you first encounter them they're very dangerous um one of them actually casts tornadoes on you um which is the shard that you get from him it actually like lets you use a directional tornado um yeah actually uh, maybe this is well known i didn't realize it till i was playing the game but i'm going through it i'm like why why are there enemies that are literally like house cats with horns and then there's one that's like (laughs) then there's one that's like a yorkie head I'm like, why are these in this game? Amazing. Uh, yeah, and there was those, and then there's this like weird little room I found that has like nothing in it but a bunch of music boxes. Um, and I, I had to go back and remind myself of the Kickstarter, and there were like Kickstarter rewards for like, if you backed at a certain tier, you could put your pet in the game as an enemy, which is like obviously where these dogs and cats came from. Um, <laughs> if, if you spent like. It was like a few grand. Like there are people that spent a few grand to have what? a room in the game named after them, and I, I imagine they got to design and say, "Hey, I want this in my room, this in my room." And like, "Hey, you know what? If you want to spend that kind of money, that's cool." And it's you have to find a key somewhere in the castle that unlocks this one room that's for like this person or that person. Amazing. Um, yeah, and there's like some portraits in some of the hallways that again I was looking I've heard at and like, them. you know what? Yeah. Yes, those are backers yeah, too. It's, I don't know, it's a, it's a neat thing. That much money's being thrown around and nobody threw in a hedgehog? I'm sad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's not enough hedgehog representation in there anything. Like, there is only two kind of hedgehog Pokemon. Like, only one, really. I mean, I'm being generous with Sandslash. So why can't we have more? Yeah, I mean, a hedgehog at this point, you would think should deserve its own franchise. And I'm surprised we've never gotten that. Uh-huh. No. <laughs> Sonic and Sega All-Star Racing Transformed is amazing and there's a Skies of Arcadia stage in it. That is my, oh my one gosh. for this episode. You're How allowed. did we make it this far in before Skies of Arcadia came up? I've gone quite a long time without mentioning it, apart from today on Slack because uh, um, Waya Records Skies of Arcadia Returnal soundtrack got shipped today. So that sounds real nice. Mm, so excited. I do not own a physical copy of the soundtrack. It is so expensive otherwise, so this is good. Well, Doesn't Skies mean. of Arcadia is the Dark Souls of Elena. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, we were talking about a bunch of Switch stuff, 
and you were making allusion to the Switch Lite. It was something we wanted to talk about last episode, but just with so much stuff, we don't always always get to news because we just like talking about games too much. But yeah, the Switch Lite was teased, or not teased, it was outright announced, uh, which it's coming out. I'm blanking on the date right now. Does anyone else know September it? 20th. September 20th. Yeah, real Same soon. Same day as Link's Awakening. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, I guess, perfect for that, which makes sense. It'll be a neat little handheld if you want to play Link's Awakening back on the Game Boy, basically, you can pick up the Switch Lite version. Because, yeah, it's handheld only. There's no docking. There's no, you know, taking off the Joy-Cons or anything like that. It's just a complete handheld that basically is ringing in the death knell of the 3DS at this point. We have moved past it. It's even shipping at the same price that the 3D uh, the 3DX uh, XL uh, shipped at originally. So There we go. Yeah. So this is... Uh, which is great that they're not... Uh, upping the price so to speak for their handheld but at the same time i'm like eh, for an extra hundred bucks more i'd rather just get a full featured switch especially since they've also announced that there's new models of the switch coming out that have a better battery life that extended out to a whole whopping nine hours or you know six and a half if you're playing a really intensive game <laughs> it's yes. exactly yeah, it's and so while we haven't gotten our switch pro per se announcements or anything like that with better frame rates or power or whatever you know this is still a little bit of a boost and so with the Switch Lite, though, is one thing I was wondering. I was like, how many people are really going to be that invested in it? For myself, I don't really see a point in it, especially since the fact that it's really not a Switch anymore, since the whole thing is it's supposed to switch between the TV. It's supposed mm-hmm. to switch between you can take the Joy-Cons off and set it down and play. Like, it doesn't have its signature, like, anymore because you can't clip things into the side of it. So it's just it just seems a little weird and ham-fisted almost, I would argue, but I'm not sure. Maybe that's just me. I think I, Nintendo are printing money with it, basically. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a good move. I think there's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of people, there are parents who will not want to spend that extra $100. That's or fair. just people in general who are like, I'm only going to play it handheld, so this is enough for me. Well, and that's what, yeah, like there's a lot of people like Mike Slosey says, like he almost plays his Switch exclusively handheld. And there's a lot of yeah. other people that live like yeah. that too. So Lucy and I both are almost exclusively on, hand, uh, use it handheld. And I mean, Again, as a teacher, I, you know, I have kids bringing in their switches to school and the fact that it's one le- it, it being one solid piece means there's uh, two less things for kids to lose. That's a good point. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's and it's more sturdy if it does drop or whatever. You're getting uh, the chance for more customization, uh, you know, the the candy colored flavors is the same thing that they pulled with the 3ds's so I, I, yeah. I expect to see a lot more of you know special editions which is lights for certain games yeah definitely yeah. that's probably the way they'll go yeah yeah the, all, the sword yeah. and shield yeah which i love i think it might be my favorite out of all four that we've seen so we've seen a slightly gray one a yellow one a turquoise blue one which are all really nice looking like the yellow one in particular is really unusual and would go with my uh i have a yellow 3ds xl because it's a pikachu one um (laughs) but uh i really love the pokemon sword and shield one which is light gray and the left side is blue for sword and the right side is pink for shield because the legendaries refer to cyan and magenta yeah um so yeah i might have got the sides the wrong like way around it. yeah it's really cute and it does yeah open up a range of things like we'll probably start seeing what they did with the 3ds in its later life too of like here's one that's nintendo colored theme and here's one that's 
uh, Super Nintendo or uh, Famicom color schemed, which were really I love slick. The Super Nintendo 3DS. And, it's so good. And it came too late. Otherwise, I would have gone for it. But it's just I didn't need it at that point. And I guarantee you we'll get some sort of Zelda version when Breath of the Wild 2 launches, right? Yeah, probably. Yes. Though I, I will hope that they constrain themselves a little bit when, you know, we were getting into the end of 3DS's life and we were getting the 2DS clamshell. We were getting the 2DS block of cheese. We were getting the 2DS XL and that, you know, originally they were releasing them for only certain regions. I mean, the 2DS clamshell was uh, Japan exclusive for almost two years. And I really wanted one and was told time and time again by every staffer I could uh, come across oh it's never coming to north america oh it's never coming to north america what does it come to north america and but by that point it was already in its death now mm-hmm. yeah and uh hopefully they make better use i guess of it in this regard of of only releasing them up to a certain point and then for some reason when we decide to move on although again it'd be the switch it, it's still early enough in the switch's live stream that i don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon or it's yeah it's not too little too late at this point which is good and i think that will definitely lend it to its buying power people are going to be wanting to get a second one for siblings or whatever or um or the parents are like well we have now the switch and we can give the kid the the light so that way as mike suggested you know we have two in the house and we can play things together and we could someday go that way way or if gwen wants to use allowance money or whatever and save it up and get her own switch light so she has complete ownership over it that's on her I have no plans of buying her one, though, or one for myself. <laughs> and also, I mean, for uh, those households that have, you know, eight consoles already in uh, crowding the TV area, having one that you can, um, you know, just shove in a drawer if you need to is a little bit nice. Right. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is thank you for reminding me. I had that thought that it's there's some appeal to reducing the uh, yeah the amount of clutter and the amount of fighting for the big screen if you have kids that prefer to play things on that if you're just like here's the handheld then you don't have to worry about that ever being an issue you know because we're kind of past the days where you've got the picture in picture on your tv where you're like trying to play super mario world and like the little tiny square where uh, your parents are watching football or whatever and just so everyone's kind of trying to share or whatnot Uh, my hdmi switch already is an hd eight hdmi switch and it's already full I, i i i need to cut back wait eight eight how much was that i've never i I only have like a four anyway not the point here we'll talk later (laughs) (laughs) i get your your pain though yeah like in our tv alone we've got like a classic nintendo we have a snes mini although it's loaned out to a friend at the moment we've got our wii still we've got the wii u we've got a ps4 a ps2 and now the switch Uh, i finally took away the xbox 360 because i was just like i'll put it somewhere else for now and i'll probably do the same with the ps2 at some point but gwen and i were playing chrono trigger on it so you know i'm gonna we still have a vcr out there too right just for kicks so there's a lot of stuff crowding the tv (laughs) yeah no that's the, the exact same thing with us and it's kind of ridiculous because we look at it and we were like oh we should put that away but 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 what if I want to play Shadow Hearts? And yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah the pain or is Evolution of Gaia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. I sympathize with that. So this could be, yeah, a way to mitigate that, and it'll be nice to get everything on the go. Um, now, was there? 
anything that was going to be Switch Lite only and or it was Switch only, or it can, it's supposed to be able to play everything together except for stuff that requires only movement controls, I think. Yeah, but Switch actually launched with, I forget the name of it. I can't remember if it's Snipper a shooter Clips? or a rhythm game or something. No, no, no. There, it was, it was a, I think it was a port from a mobile game, but uh, it was like touchscreen only. So like you, you oh. can't, I don't think you can play it on your TV because it requires well, a touchscreen. So like there's some switch, of those. Yeah. One, two switch, you wouldn't be able to play because you need the Joy-Con separate for some mini games. Yeah, so I mean, you well, can you still could use play the Joy Cons with it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. That's the one thing that's good is you can pair up your Joy Cons with it, so you are still oh, able I did to do not that know. stuff. Yeah, yeah it's just cool. not as obvious, likely to most parents and most consumers, unfortunately. So I feel like that's a boat that will get missed, and it's a risk for developers because I feel like Nintendo risks putting developers in that weird um, development space again of like, well, what is the system really for? What does it really do now? You've changed the game of like you know motion controls were a big thing for this and all that but now you're developing it so that it's the controls are fixed and people might get it but do we want to hedge our bets or should we just now develop everything to be with buttons again i think well and that's like sorry go ahead lucy no i was also going to say that it's the same thing with the touch screen of the switch that's i have to say that i keep forgetting that there is a touch screen on my switch yeah because you don't use it in the menu (laughs) yeah it's so very rarely used. I, there's a missed opportunity in like Wargroove. I kept wanting to like touch it and I'm like, oh, right, I can't. Yeah, I guess it's hard though because that's a multi platform game, isn't it? So that's yeah. a heck of a lot more work to make it Switch exclusive features and stuff. But like, I think I've only played two games that have some motion control in them. Like, I don't think that they are. I hate them. If I don't have to use them, I won't hate them. I won't use them. <laughs> so, like, Breath yeah, of the Wild is much. one, and the other one is Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu. So, they're the only two really that I've had any experience mm. with. And um, Breath Ten of the Wild is. is yeah, Breath of the Wild is a bit more mandatory, especially for those ball dungeons where you have to roll the ball around. Uh, and maze yeah, and them. it was unfortunately but, so poorly realized. Yeah, and then let's go Pikachu. Uh, you don't have to use it for definite. I just want to see kids now like rapidly like whipping their Switch lights through the air to try and throw a Pokeball. <laughs> you don't have to. There's, there's, there's options that you don't have to do that. Okay, so. good. Yeah, you don't, yeah. you don't need to use the motion controls. They're totally optional. Because that's how I, I broke my 3DS. I may have cheated with those uh, dungeons, I mean, those uh, shrines in Breath of the Wild too. Uh, uh, may have flipped it upside down and said, you yep, know, nope, not yep. doing the puzzle part. <laughs> Just... <Yep. laughs> I know this is not the way you want me to play this. I don't care. You give me the power, <laughs> I'll use the power how I want it, basically. Wait, you say you flipped it upside down and the ball just flings into the air and then you just dropped it where you wanted it? Um. Well, no, you what happens is is that instead of having to use do that stupid maze which reminds me of those puzzles my grandfather used to have um you instead if you flip it upside down you get the a flat surface and you just tilt it so the ball rolls right into where it's supposed to oh i see i see it's a lot easier to control (laughs) yeah Yeah. i could see that yeah i think the only other thing that's different about the switch light is it doesn't have rumble for some reason. I guess it was a cost saving thing. Yeah. Probably. I don't think that's gonna hurt anyone. No, I nah, think that's consumer friendly. And I usually turn that off to save battery power on most things anyways. Yeah, the only game I've ever used Rumble on is Animal Crossing for fishing. <laughs> no, that's a good idea. <laughs> That'll be necessary, yeah, with the new uh 
Animal Crossing coming out, I guess. Yeah, I'm not going to pick yeah. up a Switch Lite. I, I'm pretty much 60-40 on TV handheld. Um, Ditto. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm not against it. I mean, I like having it. I, I'm trying to wean myself off of not bringing it to bed as often. But uh, I I will just, I'll stay up too late. It's, it's a problem. And, but I do like having it to, yeah, port on the go to toss to Gwen if we're doing like a a long road trip or if we have to go to appointments or something like that, if she decides she wants that instead of her iPad or instead of a 3DS or whatever, you know, it's just nice to have the option, but I generally like to just sit on the couch and play it on there and the controls feel good. Actually, uh, Undertale is the first game I've actually used the little, um, the Joy-Con, like the thing that makes it into a controller with, and I felt really good with that. And I'm now like, oh, I want to start playing uh, Trials of Mana with this as well. Um, because, it, yeah, it yeah. feels real good. It does. I mean, I still like the Pro Controller more, but I, I think yeah. that's a good solution, yeah. too. I do want to pick up a Pro Controller at some point. But it was really nice. And so, yeah, with that, I guess, um, is it appealing to you, Mike, to grab a Switch Lite? Or? Well, no. I mean, I have my Switch. And... You know, unfortunately, I'm one of those suckers that if there's the right color combination, I'm like, oh, I need those Joy-Cons. Like that yeah. purple and orange that they announced, oh, I'm gonna, God. I know I'm going to buy those because I want oh. a purple and orange Joy-Con. They've just announced some Japanese exclusive uh, Disney Simpson ones, but they're pink and purple, and I love them. I really oh. want them. Yeah, but it's a Switch. You can't get the Joy-Cons separately from what I can tell. Um, oh, never mind then. Yeah. Um, to tie back a little bit into Bloodstained, and this is a temporary complaint, but there is a there is a bug in the Switch version um, where the rumble goes on more than it's supposed to, and oh. like, I, I I like it being on during certain things, but when your health is low, it constantly buzzes, oh, and if you finish a boss fight with your health low, it buzzes through the entire cutscene. <laughs> Like, like it, oh. like audibly, it audibly buzzes, and I'm like, oh no, they need that would to be problematic. This. So they are fixing it. Like it's, it's a patch that comes out like this week or next week. But um, if I didn't have the rumble, um, I wouldn't have had to worry about that. Yeah, that's totally uh, fair. Anyway, but no, no, I think the switch light's a good idea. It's not for me, but I'm glad that they're doing it. I think mm-hmm. it'll be good for a lot of people. Yeah, like I might be the kind of person that if they do release a really cool looking like Legend of Zelda one, then I might be a sucker and pick it up. And by that point, maybe as a family, we'll want the freedom of having another one. And But I don't know. I feel like by the time I'll want to get it, it'll be likely around the time that Nintendo's probably going to be iterating in another three years anyway. So it may as well just hold off for whatever the new console is going to be. But I have a hard time imagining them doing something else after the switch at this point it seems so far off at this moment yeah i'm terrified they're gonna release an animal crossing one like (laughs) i will buy it i just really hope they don't do what they did with the zelda 3ds where it was a limited edition and there were only like the only people who got it were the scalpers and so you saw them on ebay for a thousand bucks and it was like ah oh the majora's mask one this one yes yeah that one was really nice what are you feeling about the like the Switch Better battery version? Like, is this enough that you're gonna want to trade in your old Switch to get one of the new models? Or no, no, it's not. It's nice, but no, I'm I'm fine with the battery life. Yeah, yeah, ditto. Fine. I've never yeah. seen a big issue with it personally. No, I can yeah, get through. I can get through a cross country plane flight on the battery. So, like, yeah. that's enough. And if and if you've got a long long enough USB C cord, you can still have it handheld and have it plugged into the wall. Yeah, and having an Android device, I have that. 
Yeah, I've got a power pack, so if I ever need to charge it up, then I'll just use that and we're all good. Yeah, it's not enough of a draw for me. It's great for people who want to buy into it now. That's a nice perk, but it's definitely not enough for me to go like, oh, I want to, I'm going to trade in. And yeah, it's especially since we have the Let's Go Pikachu EV version, right? Like they're not going to release all that special edition stuff with it either. No. (laughs) Now, if they do the other thing that keeps getting rumored where it's like, you know, basically Switch Pro, then I would think about it. But yeah, I think that's where I'll consider throwing my money at a second Switch in the house or something. Well, aside from all this stuff, the only other big news thing we did want to get into with the last uh, few minutes we can was uh, the fact that 13 Sentinels is finally becoming an actual real tangible thing, which Alana was like, I want to talk about that because it's real and I love it. So <laughs> go. Yeah. It used to be a running joke on the site. Like last, I think it's had a bit of a roller coaster over the last year. Um, I, or in the last two years. Because in 2017, it was on the E3 badge. And it wasn't at the show at all, from what I remember, um, people telling me. There was a but video. It, there, there was, was a video, video on a big cardboard Mac. Oh, amazing. You could take Such a picture good. with it. <laughs> oh, that's a bit better than I thought. Um, but then in 2018, they said it was going to be released. And then Vanillaware delayed it indefinitely. Then at the beginning of... 2019 we uh japan got a prologue demo um which you had to pay for um it was about eight i think it was the equivalent of about eight to ten dollars but it was a demo that you had to pay for and would be slightly separate to the main game and then uh last week uh we got a um a five minute trailer and a four hour live stream of just how the game played along with the release date which is the 20th of november for japan so we don't have any um confirmation for a western release uh but i think we'll get one eventually probably late next year i would think uh it looks very different i think everybody had already resigned to the fact that it would probably be an action rpg because that is what vanilla wear specialize in it is not um so the prologue demo seemed to hint at some visual novel style thing and the gameplay has shown that it is essentially three games melded into one so it's a bit like phoenix wright with even more dialogue with RTS and strategy mechanics. So it is very different to anything else Vanillaware have ever done. So lots of people really excited for it. Yeah, I think that's really neat that they're kind of switching up the genres to tell the stories in different ways. I've always Again, had my yeah. own dream of doing something like that, of like having three characters, but each character has a different kind of gameplay or whatever. So I don't think it's going quite that route, but it's neat that they each story will lend itself to being told in a different mechanic. Yeah, exactly. I want to see like how RTS or strategy heavy it is because I'm not the biggest fan of that. But Vanillaware is always a name where if somebody sticks it on there, I'm like, oh yes, please, because you know their games are really unique. Um, even though they, even though they've stuck to the um, action RPG style, there's always something different. Like Dragon's Crown is essentially a brawler. Um, Odin Sphere is very unusual and is the only one I haven't played. And uh, Muramasa is like a Metroid game, but with a battles and uh samurai sword mechanics which is cool so i'm just mostly excited it's got a date it's been this running joke that 13 sentinels doesn't exist and we know it does now so it's well, pretty cool right i feel bad about it like i, I always encouraged it the last couple e3s i'm like look l- let's let's talk about how this game was not at e3 again but like i didn't like it like the only reason we kept talking about how we couldn't see it is because we wanted to see it yeah. and i was really really starting to think that it was going to be one of those games that just got cancelled. It was so... It was getting into Last Guardian territory for sure. 
it was it was and like why is why are they not talking about this it's been years so yeah it's very exciting to see it now well that's funny the first iteration like the visual novel kind of stuff looks a little bit like um another eden the the android game just oh yeah 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 but with that stunning art style yeah absolutely Vanillaware always do excellent looking food in their games. There's always something revolving <laughs> around food, whether it's getting the party together to cook together or going into a restaurant or a like a noodle bar in um, Muramasa and you get to pick your dish and it heals you, but it always looks so good. It's got the Final Fantasy 15 thing where it looks real good. They should so, yeah. be hiring those artists out in their like downtime. <laughs> like they have that but any anyway, rate before um to uh be drawing all the menus in japan definitely <laughs> that'd be like delicious looking food art it'd be great but yeah it's we're gonna get it real soon now all of a sudden which is kind of i don't know it's smart of them i guess i mean they haven't maybe had much they wanted to show or they've just were trying to keep people waiting for this whole idea of like it's going to be three different concepts and now they're just like cool has an announcement it's coming this november so we're going to know real quick how it all is going to play out. So that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be curious to see when it comes here. Yeah. Thank God it's not this year. Jesus. How many games have we got coming? <laughs> oh, yeah. I hate that. I know. I'm so, I'm so annoyed that in two months I have to play a Link's Awakening remake. Me too. Thought and nobody Dragon Quest Eleven ever. again. <laughs> Man, I'd really hate to be a video game reviewer right now. Yeah, yeah, you too. I don't mind. We're doing stuff, okay? I was gonna say I enjoy I enjoy the pressure. (laughs) It keeps keeps me alive. Uh, Makes makes everything feel real. Uh, So much on you when you're trying to like. I need to finish this. (laughs) Um, you eventually, yeah, you start to get into a rhythm of how to plow through things. And some people are quicker at it than others. It's true. There's, I don't know. And some games are just stupid hard. Looking at you last, whatever it was, Survivor. No. Uh, Left two. Alive. Left Alive, thank you. Oh, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, geez, yeah. Yeah, that's a game. Just beating your head against the wall for a while. Yeah. But uh, I'm actually curious to go back to that at some point now with some of the improvements they've done. And I still want to go through my new game plus because the new game plus actually was very fun. So that's, yeah, like I was saying in my review, like the the little adjustments they give you for that you unlock for the new game plus is actually very rewarding and completely changes the dynamic of the game. So that's really good. Yeah, Mm. I was just like, oh, cool. Things actually are working and hitting and whatnot. So we'll see how that plays out through the rest. It's kind of neat. Anyways, that's a whole different conversation for now. I'd say this conversation's come to a close. If nobody else, any other 13 Sentinel thoughts or we're all good. I don't think so, no. This has been a bumper episode. <laughs> Do define a bumper episode. Yes, a please. A big one. Oh, oh yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah, they generally are. Yeah, I wasn't thinking we were going to get up to two hours, but once we started getting into uh, some news talk and everything, yeah, we stretched it out. We, we got stuff to talk about, and I think people have resigned themselves to it. That's what Random Encounter is these days, is a whole lot of talking about stuff they're interested in. And no yeah, one's complained about the length, so... So far, it's all <laughs> good. No one but Mike has complained about the length, so... Oh boy. No, I was gonna say, like, I think only ten or fifteen percent of the show actually ended up being about toilets. So, you know, not bad. <laughs> it was good. a good ratio in the end. Then, oh man, what's my life even worth anymore? Quick, Lucy, give us your best toilet joke. 
I mean, you got to have one with students. You work so. with kids. Yeah, <laughs> I do. Um, I mean, I, I have so many to- terrible toilet jokes. Most of them not arable. Um, I have uh, one one that it comes from uh, extended school year this uh, just this week. I was teaching uh, kids diagraphs, which are you know two letters, one uh, one sound like sh is sh, wh is wh, and uh, it, it was a worksheet with a bunch of words and uh, where you had to fill in the right diagraph. It was IET and had a blank square. <laughs> it was supposed to be white. Uh, the kid put in the SH diagraph and I had to explain British swears to a sixth grader. <laughs> <laughs> And with that, folks, let's bring this one home. If you have any comments or complaints about Lucy's joke, uh, you can email us at <laughs> podcast at rpgfan.com. I kid. Uh, you can also message us at rpgfancom on Twitter, Insta, and you can also find rpgfan.com on Facebook. And you know where else you can find rpgfan.com? At rpgfan.com. Uh, isn't that handy? It's like the internet's built for that. Uh, we also have other podcasts, Retro Encounter, that uh, Mike releases at blistering blinding speeds um we just did a lot of talking about trials of mana that one came out recently alana and i were on it trials of mana lana sure um (laughs) she played a lot of it so i don't blame her Uh, and she's probably still playing more it's easy to turn it right back into which on that note i went into final fantasy adventure and i think it was in the last castle and i got stuck and i can't play it anymore so i need to completely restart did you do the lock yourself out thing yep and there's no, no skeletons. They don't make keys. No, oh. uh, it's bogus. But you know, quality testing it was a thing in some games. Uh, either way, I do really want to play it because that game's really charming and it's actually really like Mike said, it holds up really well. Uh, we also have another podcast, Rhythm Encounter, it's still on hiatus, but still got a lot of great music to listen to. So go expose yourself to some amazing game tunes, and hopefully we'll get some new stuff out for you uh, in the meantime. So uh, until next time, folks. Thanks so much for listening to Random Encounter once again. Uh, And for myself, Alana, Mike, and Lucy, goodbye.